Hello and welcome to the Investing On The Go podcast by Fund Caliber. I'm Ryan Lightfoot-Brown, and today we're speaking to Hugh Sargent, the Elite Rated Manager of the R&M UK Recovery Fund. Hugh, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Now, the UK stock market fell very quickly in quite a long way between February and March. Um, on average, it was more than 30%, but some shares fell as much by as much as 50 to 60%. You're known for buying shares at fire sale prices, so I'm assuming you were quite active during that time. Um, so perhaps you can talk us through some names that you um, you topped up or added to. Uh, yes, I mean, we are going through a period of um, above average, but uh, hopefully well-considered uh, activity. I think it goes without saying that the short-term economic background uh, changed profoundly with the global spread of uh, of the pandemic. Um, so actually, initially, we needed to review existing uh, positions uh, as well as looking for new opportunities. Um, some stocks uh, did see our, our our thesis broken by by the uh, lockdown, uh, where there was a difficult combination of operational and, and financial uh, leverage for, for those businesses. And, and we exited some of some of those, an obvious example being uh, Carnival. Uh, we added to existing positions where we thought that the share price falls uh, more than discounted. Uh, the difficult short-term uh, environment uh, that would have included companies such as Capital and Counties, the, the owner of much of Covent Garden, a uh, business called RHI Magnesita, which is a global leading producer of consumables for the steel industry and also Anglo-American and, and Lloyds Bank. Um, and then, indeed, we did seek uh, new opportunities. Uh, these were typically amongst uh, what I'd describe as higher quality business franchises, but uh, ones that were being hit by the induced coma of, of lockdown, uh, but where we thought uh, the business franchise would survive and, and then prosper as we return to a more normal economic environment. Examples of that would be uh, Auto Trader, Right Move, uh, Next, ASOS, and WH Smith. WH Smith that's uh, clearly more focused on, on the travel uh, market and has a Strong business in that that area, uh, temporarily, uh, from our perspective, disrupted and available at attractive uh, valuations. Okay, that perhaps leads me on to my next question, actually. That, um, does it mean that some of these value stocks or those value sectors are different today than they were before we went into this crisis? Previously, it was things like energy, retail and financials. Is that still the same today or is it things such as like the airlines or the travel stocks that are classified as value? Uh, I think the great thing about the current um, universal hatred of, of value stocks, value i.e. companies that are are trading uh, on low valuations, cheap versus their history, cheap versus their potential profits and cash flow. So, said so the universal hatred of these types of stocks or any company that doesn't fit what is now a desired profile of, say, an attractive return on capital or robust growth. Uh, because of this universal hatred, there are many, many companies in many, many sectors that have become attractively. Uh, valued. So there are the classic value sectors, some of which you named, such as banks, 
but also attractively valued digital economy stocks such as uh, ASOS and Right uh, Right Move, which I've mentioned already. Fund managers such as Premier Miten, specialist lenders such as International Personal Finance, house builders such as Persimmon, real estate stocks. We have already mentioned Capital and Counties, oil services uh, such as Hunting and well-managed industrials available at knockdown prices, such as Melrose and, and Vesuvius. So um, certainly opportunities in, in the value sectors you described, but actually the value opportunity is a very broad one um, and, and particularly attractive at this moment. Okay, and perhaps then um, we could talk about value traps, because you said there are quite a few sectors that do look good value, but what about those that look cheap but for a good reason. Um, and you really think there are any areas that won't recover from the shutdown particularly well? Yeah, and no, I think that's a great point. I mean, obviously, the, the lockdown, the shutdown it has clearly reinforced some um, existing structural trends, um, clearly such as the move to, to all things digital. So sectors that were impacted by, by uh, these trends before the lockdown uh, are probably even deeper value traps uh, today. Classic example would be bricks and mortar retailers. Um, but you know, as a value and recovery manager, um, uh, I suppose it's learned the hard way over the years. We've always needed to think about the issue of, of value traps. Is this stock cheap for a permanent structural disruptive type of, of reason? So, so actually, we've consistently had more in e-commerce type stocks than bricks and, and mortar uh, retailers. Um, having said that, I think value traps have, have uh, the concept has now become, a, I think, a much overused term. Uh, so that anything that is good value today is being dismissed as, as a value trap is kind of a good excuse not to invest in it. So um, the question you ask is, is no one ever going back to Covent Garden, going to the Apple store there, to the opera, et cetera, et cetera? Are people really going to give up permanently the amount of travel they do? Travel's been one of the biggest, most consistent growth industries of the last 100 years. And are they not going to visit this travel uh, outlet as they head through airports? Personally, I don't think so. Um, I would say we are more confident than the businesses that cater to travel um, and socialising. You know, they're going to they're going to be back. Uh, it will take time, but they'll be back. So as long as the good quality businesses such as WH Smiths and Ryanair have the liquidity to survive, uh, we are you know very comfortable uh, applying capital, investing in those in those types of stocks. Um, so you've mentioned some of the bigger companies that you've owned there, Hugh, that our listeners might be used to. But what about smaller companies? You said that they've been attractive in the past. Do you still um, believe that? Um, yeah, smaller companies around the world, have, they've been uh, relatively weak over the, the last uh, couple of years, uh, culminating in uh, a very aggressive share price markdown as, as the, the lockdowns accelerated, as economic uncertainty uh, became very significant. Um, they were undermined by a combination of of uh, um, small cap uh, having greater cyclicality and also um, uh, during a period of uncertainty increasing uh, premium required because of their illiquidity. Um, so 
by the end of March, um, smaller companies uh, from our from our perspective were clearly very uh, very attractive. Um, they have rallied uh, somewhat since, uh, but this has been led by small cap growth stocks, and that's left behind a great hunting ground in in small cap value. And the smaller you go, often uh, the larger the valuation anomaly. So if you go down to to micro caps, there seems to be very significant. Uh, significant discount. A good example uh, that we have in the portfolio we've been adding to is a company called Sumero. They do equipment for uh, making concrete um, in construction, a dominant global market position, and, and that concrete goes into warehouses, uh, for, for uh, example, Amazon-type uh, warehouses. So they've seen strong structural growth over the years. But, uh, the shares have been uh, weak recently because of um, cyclical worries, and that's left uh, the, the valuation looking extremely uh, attractive again. Okay, and going back to the uh, other end of the scale, you own some of the big energy companies, the likes of BP, Shell, and things. What are your thoughts on the oil price, which has been another big story over the last couple of months? And has this impacted your thesis about owning these companies at all? Yeah, well, I mean, we have actually been structurally underweight, uh, the big uh, integrated oil companies for, for many years as, as they have really struggled to grow. So they haven't had the, the, the P, the potential in our philosophy of potential valuation and, and timing. Um, and we're not really recovery stocks. Uh, that said, there is a very clear cyclical opportunity here with the oil price being being so low, uh, unsustainably low from our perspective once uh, demand uh, returns looking out to, to next year. Uh, and energy stocks um, have become particularly lowly valued. So we have added to our energy exposure. Um, actually, with a greater emphasis on on the stronger oil services companies, the ones with particularly strong balance sheets. Okay, and one of the other big stories that they've had is their dividend cuts. I mean, Shell having their first cut for um, multiple decades. Has this impacted the investment case for you at all? I know you are a uh, you're not an income investor, but it is a part of the total return. Um. I yeah I mean we I would say we we're typically not uh investors who are focused on uh, on on yield in terms of our uh valuation approach we use a broad range of of valuation metrics and yield would be one of the contributors but only amongst uh, the mix of a number of valuation metrics so earnings multiples price to book uh, price to free cash flow uh, I mean obviously um the, the total investors um, and you know a lot of payments under significant short-term uh, pressure, but we'd prefer to focus on on business franchises where we're comfortable that they may have had to cut in in the short term, but they can sustain a reasonable distribution uh, back to shareholders um, over the medium term. So we, we'd focus more on the on the medium term uh, dividend uh, capability, the medium term free cash flow generated by those businesses, uh, rather than. Uh, rather than short, shorter-term dividend distribution. Now, your style of value investing has been out of favour for a decade now. Your funds managed to outperform still. How have you managed to do this? And do you think that value will have its time in the sun, in the sun again? Yeah, I do hope so. I mean, value has has been out of favour for you know thirteen years now, actually, since the market uh, peaked uh, before the global financial crisis in in two thousand and. And seven eight, um, it struggled. I think for for four reasons. 
uh, one valued actually done very well uh, during the, the credit bubble, which led to the, to the credit uh, crunch. So it was due a cyclical pullback at that point. Uh, we've seen an ongoing fall in, in interest rates and, and bond yields uh, around uh, the world. And this has uh, uh, typically been far more supportive of growth and quality type stocks and has undermined traditional value type stocks. Um, the third um, aspect of value underperforming has, has been disruption. We've already talked a little bit about that, but digital models have clearly disrupted a number of industries and created more value traps than we've seen in, in, in the past. Um, and, and now, most recently, uh, the pandemic, COVID-19, has created a big cyclical downdraft for value and, and actually supported um, you know, growth stocks, uh, the, the ones focused on, on the digital economy. Um, but where does that uh, lead us today? Where does that lead uh, value? From, from my perspective, uh, we, we, we are at the point of the best opportunity to invest in, in our type of stock. So that's value, cheap stocks, recovery, good quality franchises where uh, profitability is temporarily depressed and also multi caps so looking for opportunities from the largest down to the smallest the best opportunity that i've seen in in my 30 year career but there's a potential change of of narrative in terms of the, the economic and um, inflationary background which has been consistently deflationary over the last uh, 10 years uh, because policy is so aggressive to try and reflate uh, the global economy during this difficult times it could become aggressive in the context of economies recovering, which could be reflationary rather than deflationary. Uh, and that would be uh, supportive of a value stock. Well, Hugh, that was very interesting. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. And for more information on the elite rated RM UK recovery funds, please visit fundcaliber.com. And for more from the Investing on the Go podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. Please note that these are unprecedented times and the market can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. And remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. <laughs>